we've been very intentional of late to look at Jesus as he is, not as he was perceived by man. We've been very intentional about focusing on God, focusing our lives in him, focusing on him living as us. We've been very intentional about pursuing what he wants. And today I want to talk, I'm going to set up a few, a, a couple of teachings. I'm going to do this one today and next week, and then Greg's going to do a couple, and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to set you up and let you ponder for a while, um, and then I'm going to come back and we're going to work through some stuff. If you have a Bible with you today, go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Because really what I want to begin to talk about over the next few weeks is living out of the heart. And as I've been pondering this, living out of the heart for a while, see, we've, we've been asking the question over the winter, and one of these days spring will eventually arrive, but we've been pondering, how do I live this life of grace? And part of the answer from what I'm hearing from God is to talk about we have to live out of our heart. And as I mentioned, I think it was last week, I kind of got even lost last week, but our heart is not the physical organ. Our heart is defined in Scripture as our, as our intestines and bowels, and it's that place where the spirit of man and the soul of man reside. It's actually here, and there's actually a nerve called the vagus nerve that runs from here to the brain that what happens in our gut... I'm going home. <laughs> but what happens in our gut is... A signal is transmitted to our brain, and most of the time we, we think it's our brain controlling everything, but it's not. Our, our spirit man and our soul have memories, and they're stored, and there's this interaction in, in a physiological level that triggers how we think, and it triggers how we respond, and, we, and the Bible calls that the heart. And I really was going to go right there. You ever have those moments where you know where you want to be, but can't figure out how to get there? Ever, any of you have those? I had no clue what I was going to do until 7 o'clock this morning. <laughs> because it's like, God, how do I get there? Because I, I want to be here living out of the heart. And it's like, God, how do I get there? And I was here for hours yesterday. Just, God, what do I do? And I get up this morning. God, what do I do? And then all of a sudden, it clicked. To get here, we have to back up and cover some other things first. But that's where I want to go. That's the goal. Because it's out of this place that we love God. It's out of the heart that we love each other. It's out of the heart that we receive healing. It's out of the heart that every promise of God is yes and amen. It's not out of my head. I can be very quick to talk myself out of a promise of God if I'm living out of my head. But if I know that I know that I know in my heart 
that the promise of is yes and amen, I can't be talked out of it. And so, so much of our life, we have been trained to live out of our head. But God calls us to live out of the heart. And it's in the place of the heart where our spirit man is that the spirit of God connects to our spirit man. And you know, our spirit man has everything it needs right now. God is not going to add one thing to our spirit man. You know why? Because the spirit of God and the spirit of man are so connected that they're... His thoughts are my thoughts, my thoughts are his thoughts, and everything I need for life and godliness is already there. The problem is I try to live out of my head, and I try to analyze it, and I try to tell God, this is the way you should do it. So I suggested that you go to Ezekiel 37, because to live by the Spirit, there's some things that we, we just have to begin to walk through and come to the realization here in our gut-level heart, that God is not a liar. And then when He says it, it's true. So if you're in Ezekiel chapter 37, I need to get there, but I'll get there eventually. Go to verse 1. Jeez, Lord, I'm going to fall over. This is the valley of the dry bones. The Lord took hold of me. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. And And I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord, to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were becoming dried out. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? Sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke these words just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then, as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover the bodies. They still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds. Son of man, speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. And so I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies, and they all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. And verse 11, And he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel, and they are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says on my people. I will Open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. There is a long-term prophetic message in that it was spoken to the people of israel but it was a prophetic message about what was going to happen 
with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the implication is the Spirit of God was not in the people at that time. Right? But he said, I will breathe into you and you will know what? What will you know when the Spirit of God is breathed into you? That I am Lord. And that I have done what I said. The first part about learning to live out of the heart is to know that the Spirit of God is in you. We don't call the Spirit of God down. We recognize the Spirit of God in us. And everything that goes on in our life has a component of God training us to hear the voice of the Spirit of God even more. The good, the bad, the ugly, it all has a component about the Spirit of God teaching us to hear His voice. Because He doesn't waste anything in our life. And as we begin to realize that the Spirit of God is in us and He speaks to us, now we can begin to understand that I truly can live out of the heart of God. Go with me, if you would, to um, Isaiah chapter 57. It's incredible when you begin to think about God setting us up in grace and go back and look at some of these, these prophetic words that God gave through the prophets, how graceful they were, how anticipation of grace they were, and how their reality is have been fulfilled because of the manifestation of the incarnation of Jesus. But if you would go to Isaiah 57 and go to verses 14 a minute and 15 and 16, God says, Rebuild the road, clear the rocks and stones, so my people can return from captivity. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. I will not fight against you forever. I will not always be angry. If I were, all people would pass away. All the souls I have made. Wow, if God was angry, we wouldn't be here. If he was angry at us, we would be dead. Physically, yeah. So, you're breathing today, aren't you? So what does that say? God loves you. He's not out to crush you. He's not out to harm you. I put my spirit in you. My son's in you. My throne is in you. But you see, oftentimes we read the the Old Testament promises and, and prophecies, but we don't bring them through the cross to the now. Here Isaiah is saying, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to crush you. I'm not going to kill you. No, my son's going to take care of things. And so the the living out of the heart of God is not only recognizing that God has put his spirit in us, but the spirit in us is not in, in war with us. We are not at war with the spirit of God in us. The war's over. It was a war that God didn't even start. But he ended it. And we don't have to wait for the end of the book to be fully fulfilled to realize it's over now. We are not at war with God. When there's no 
war and no conflict. What do we call that? Peace. So living out of the heart of God, but living out of the heart of God also requires us to recognize we're at peace with God. Living out of the heart of our heart and God's heart connected, we're at peace. And it's not a false sense of peace waiting for con- conflict and hostilities to re-erupt like in Korea where they've had this truce for how many years now? 50 plus, 60 plus years with no resolution? Well, we're at peace because we have this truce, but any one moment somebody could trigger something and the truce is broken and they're back in conflict. No, not here. Jesus said it's done. Once and for all, it is finished. So we're not in conflict, we're in peace. And if you flip over to, where do I want to go now? Romans 8. See, between Isaiah 57 and Romans 8, there was a huge event that happened. Right? I can prove it to you. I've got a timeline that shows a cross on it. See, that's proof. (laughs) I have proof. I put this together from Scripture. And there's this thing called the cross, but before that was the birth of Jesus. And then there's the cross. And then there's his burial and his resurrection and his ascension, all of which we participated in. Because we were in his heart from even before the birth. And so there's this huge event that takes place and there's a shift that happens. So if you're in Romans... So we're in Romans 8, and I want to start in verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Now where's your mind? It's in your brain. It's not your heart. So when people start talking about sinful nature, they're really just talking about the thought patterns of your mind that have been programmed in you since you were a kid. And we hear sinful nature and we go, oh no. No, the the Adamic nature is dead. Our thought patterns are being reprogrammed. Isn't that what be transformed by the renewing of your mind is all about? Is our thought patterns are being reprogrammed. Where are they being reprogrammed from? Here, our heart. Is reprogramming the brain. Because if the impulses go from the heart to the brain, instead of the brain to the heart, what happens is the revelation of truth comes up in our heart. It goes to our brain and causes new wiring, rewiring. See, I call God the greatest electrician there ever is because he knows every circuit of my brain. And he is rewiring it one neuron at a time. But, so when I read something like this, I can't go, oh geez, oh God, forgive me. I had that thought again, God. I'm so sorry. It's okay, Terry. I'm rewiring that thought. Don't worry about it. I got it covered. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. Gee, that sounds like pre-cross, right? And it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful thoughts have difficulty pleasing God. It's not that God's mad at them, it's not that they're angry with them, but sometimes our sinful thinking, our old stinking thinking, as Joyce Myers would say, cuts off the manifestation of the blessing at that moment. 
because we're so preoccupied we miss it. So I don't want to get hung up on that part of this verse because it's leading to something else or these verses. But if you move on from there, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Say, I'm not controlled by my sinful thoughts. Because I'm not a sinner. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, because the wages of sin is death, the Spirit gives you life because you have made right, been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He will give what? Life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature, thoughts, urges, whatever you to do. For if you live by dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, thoughts, urges, whatever, you will live. And for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Christ died. We were there goes up and he ascends to heaven and he says to them what on his way out of the natural back into the into the eternal realm what did he say to them go where go to jerusalem right and do what wait for what the spirit so by pentecost the spirit of god manifested christ in them spirit in them Father and Son and Holy Spirit so intertwined they can't be separated. Where are they? In you. That was the transitional generation. How much more easy for every person born after the transitional generation? You guys are looking at me like, hmm. Really, Terry? You sure? I am. That's how sure I am. So go with me a moment to Galatians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to read a quick verse out of 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? So, my Spirit and the Spirit of God fully connected here in me. In my heart. And if God is fully connected to me in my heart, something changes. Are you the same person you were 10 years ago? No. no. I'm not even the same person I was 10 days ago. Because <laughs> life is always changing. Now look at Galatians chapter 5 and jump down to verse 13. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful thoughts or nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Be aware of destroying one another. Where, does it, where are we taught to bite, scratch, steal, cling against one another? We're, we're taught that in society, and it impacts our thought patterns, Right? And then God comes along and says, nah, throw that away. 
I'm going to teach you a better way. I'm going to teach you a way to love. So you know what? If I have a harsh word with my wife, God doesn't strike me dead. She might, but he doesn't. <laughs> More comments from the peanut gallery than I want to hear right now. No. <laughs> I will delete that. But let's look at verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful cravings, sinful thoughts want. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires, and I'm not sure what word it uses in your translation, but some use the word longings, that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Those two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law. So internally, our thoughts are, are telling our flesh, no, go get drunk. It's a great buzz. And then the next morning you wake up and you go, ooh, that was not a good choice. I have the hangover of all hangovers today. And it only took two beers. No. Uh, <laughs> I knew I should have picked whiskey. <laughs> uh, I did set myself up. And, and see, what's happening is, is that old programming is trying to control. But it has been broken, but it isn't, it isn't taken away until we realize we can live out of the heart because the Spirit of God has actually overpowered those thoughts that we have been learned over the years. For some people, it may not be alcohol. It may be a desire to control people. It may be the lust of money. I mean, there's different things that predominate in people's lives if they aren't paying attention to the heart. But if we pay attention to the heart, Paul is saying, if you go to verse 24, those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Yes. So those things have been what? Crucified, put to death. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You see, the problem is, oftentimes pastors will take the first part of those verses and go, you're not doing well if you're engaging in these behaviors. You really need to get your sinful nature under control. Stop doing it. Follow the ten steps. And then they don't teach verse 24 and 25. How many people's lives would be much better postured if you started with 24 and 25? Right? Hmm? They, would come back. they would come back. But as long as everything before 24 and 25 is taught, how... How well are you going to be able to accept the truth that if it's already done, if the Spirit is in me, I can live above it? It's hard if it's constantly put in your face as, being, as you being deficient. So part of learning to live by the Spirit living out of our heart is really coming to the fullness of the fact that it is finished. One last verse and we're going to switch a little bit. 
um, to the next phase here. But First Peter 4, 6 says, For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to the human standards, they might live in the Spirit according to God's standard, which is grace. The gospel is preached so that we don't have to live by the quote-unquote flesh, but we live by the standard of grace. And as we live by the standard of grace and realize that living out of the heart means living out of grace, what happens to those thought patterns? They start to change. And the more you contemplate our union with Christ, our union with the presence of the Spirit of God in us, and the reality of that truth, the easier it is for the Spirit of God and our spirit to say, yeah, no, no, not to that thought. No, no, I'm taking that thought captive. No, no, that's not me anymore. I'm a new creation. I'm a child of the King. And all of a sudden, because we believe it and we know that it's true in our heart, things change. So that's kind of the setup for where I want to go next. I'm having fun. I told some people, I told you guys last night that we're here. We had an awesome time with Ed a couple weeks ago. And there was a guy here who'd never experienced prophecy before and apparently never experienced fun in church before. Because I met with him the week after that and he said to me, and this is on the heels of you saying how much freedom we'd had that weekend, you know, last weekend, but I met with him shortly around that time, and he's going, you know, I'm really struggling with that Saturday night because you guys just have fun, and, and I'm, I don't think you're supposed to have fun in church. And I'm going, but God's fun. And I'm going, if you can't have fun in church, if you have to come in being so tied up and twisted that you can't even enjoy the moment, why bother? Why come? So, God's fun and I'm having fun. And I don't care what anyone says about that. I want to move to to live in, this, in the Spirit or by the Spirit. A couple of things that I just want to emphasize and then I'm going to demonstrate it to you. It requires us to understand pure grace. If you live a mixed law and grace message or a pure law message, and you read that Romans 8 set of verses about the sinful nature, what's your reaction going to be? Condemnation, guilt, shame. I'll never make it. Got to try harder. That's you. No, it's not. That's a lie. That wasn't a confession. Yeah. You see, if we don't realize that grace has destroyed those thoughts, we will struggle. We will always feel ashamed. We will feel we don't measure up. And I'm here to tell you, you measure up. There's nothing you can do to change that, so get over it. You measure up. Say it with me. I measure up. I measure up. I measure up. Up, up, up. Because of him. What's that? Yeah. So then we need to also understand or realize that we're a new creation. Does he not say you're a new creation? What's new about you? 
What what exists in you now that didn't exist before the cross? Sonship. Resurrection life. Sonship. Spirit. Ding, 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 ding. That's three gold stars. The Spirit of God's in us. It wasn't, he wasn't there before the cross. So if he's in us, we are literally a new creation because no one prior to the cross, other than Jesus himself, was interconnected with the Spirit of God. Jesus was the new prototype when he came in the flesh, right? But God, man together, and when he left, God and man together. Jesus is still God and man today. As he is, so are we in this world. So part of being able to live out of the heart then is to realize I am a new creation. I can do this because I can do what? All things through what? Through him who gives me strength. And where is he to give me strength? He's already in me. I don't know if this is preaching well, but I'm enjoying it. And so, to live in the Spirit and to live out of our heart also requires us to realize that we have been given longings by God that draw us, that woo us towards Him. Anybody ever had a moment where you just go, That's a deep longing coming out of the depth of your heart wanting to connect even more with Him. You see, He's not content to leave us in the same position in our heart, but He is always drawing us deeper into fellowship and relationship of love with Him. And you know why He does that? Because He wants to. He loves you. He thinks you're the best of the best. And because he just can't get enough of you, he's drawing you into him even more. You see, we think we can't get enough of him. It's the reality is he can't get enough of us because he created us for relationship with him and he wants total connectedness in every aspect of our life because that fulfills the desire of the relationship that he intended. Preach that in some circles. Same relationship as the Trinity. Why? Because God-man, Jesus, brought us into that relationship. Oh, wow. I'm just like, I'm having fun. I can't stop having fun. I won't stop having fun. And so he draws us with these longings. And those longings are also what helps us to attain a revelation of truth. Because, you know, I can sit on the couch and wait for the rapture. And I can click the TV clicker and check every news channel to see if I'm still, if I missed it or not. Right? But I'm not getting a whole lot of truth out of that. I'm not getting a whole lot of relationship and joy out of that. I'm just sitting there mindlessly clicking. Carol probably thinks I mindlessly click anyway when I'm in front of the TV. But <laughs> but you see, God isn't going to let me sit there and mindlessly click. 
he's going to go, get off the couch. Let's go have fun. Let's, Ed would say, let's go have fun with the son. Because he wants to have fun with us. That's part of the fullness of the relationship. Donna, I'm coming. I'm God, I'm coming. We're going to go have some fun today. We're going to go meet a lady in the corner. We're going to give her a ride. We're going to rock her world. Isn't that fun? And the prophet shows up in town and he rocks people's world. And living out of the heart and living in the spirit of God also requires us to be intentional about living out of the heart. We have to desire and want to live out of the heart and not be reactive. Reactive mode is living out of what? It's living out of the soul, out of those pathways of brain patterns that have been in there for years. And I'm done with that. I hope. I'm working on it. Because I am a work in progress. And in this whole concept, I said, I gave you those four points. What we need, we need to be able to do, you know, I started with understanding grace. So I wanted you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18 a minute. We're going to talk about Mephibosheth. How many of you remember Mephibosheth? Do you realize the story of Mephibosheth is the epitome of grace? Let's talk about Mephibosheth. In 1 Samuel 18, there's the discussion about David and Jonathan forming a bond. I mean, it was this cool friendship, and it became such a deep bond, it became a covenant between them, their relationship. Covenant. Ding, 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 ding. You guys heard of covenant before? If not, Greg can reteach it. <laughs> but but they have this covenant relationship of mutual respect and enjoyment. But yet Saul, Saul wants to kill David. How do you think Jonathan feels stuck between his dad and his covenant friend? That's a tough place to be, right? Because his dad had the power of life and death on the earth because he was the king. And Jonathan tried to mediate at various times the issues between Dad and David. And while this is going on, you know, David is walking around going, I'm not gonna, I am not going to, to touch God's anointed. I'm not going to touch God's anointed. There's opportunities that come up where he could have killed God's anointed, and he didn't do it. Why? Because he had an understanding of grace, and he had an understanding that God could take care of it. He didn't have to take it into his own hands because that would be living out of the flesh. But by letting God do it, he's going, no, God, you you direct me. You tell me. I mean, Saul's in the cave, relieving himself. And David could have killed him right there, but God didn't tell him to. And his men are going, kill him, kill him, kill him. Let's end this nightmare. And David's going, no, God didn't tell me to do that. God didn't tell me to do that. David's living out of his heart. What did God call David? A man after his own heart. David's living out of his heart as best he can. Without the Spirit of God being in there, he still had a sense of the awareness of the heart of God and living out of the heart as opposed to taking matters into his own hands. And so we begin to see even as early as Samuel and David, that God is beginning to talk about the heart and shaping the heart. And if you flip to 1 Samuel 20, 
I, don't, I didn't. I took you to First Samuel 18 just to highlight David and Jonathan, so I guess I'm going to skip those verses. But if you go to First Samuel 20, let's go down to verse 11. Come out of the field with me, Jonathan replied, and they went out there together. Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he is angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me down and even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. Wow, isn't that something? As he used to be with my father. Jonathan recognized that God had removed his, his favor off of Saul. And may you treat me with faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. Now, David and Jonathan are in covenant. So when he says, if I die, look after my family, what's David going to respond with? Well, of course, we're in covenant. Why wouldn't I do that? And they made a solemn pact saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Wow. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. And that relationship was so important, he was willing to defy his father, the king, to make sure David got away safely if he needed to. Why? Because he'd already recognized the favor of God had departed from Saul. Interesting. Interesting dynamics here. But God is setting up then this message of grace because here it is in chapter 20. Wow. Watch out for my family. Now go to 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the the tidings or news came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Here's the background here. Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. David was the anointed king. So what was going to happen to David? He was going to be crowned king. Old Testament ancient times said when a new king came, he killed all the family line of the old king. So there could be no challenge to his throne. So protocol said David had to kill Mephibosheth, but David had made a promise. See, Jonathan was looking ahead when he said, David, promise me you'll protect my family and you'll care for my family. Jonathan knew that if something happened to him and Saul died and David was appointed and crowned king, that David would have to kill all of Saul's descendants. So he made a promise. I love you. You're my brother. I promise you I will take care of your family. Grace goes against culture and turns it upside down. Love conquered a cultural requirement to destroy a family line. Now, let's go on. That's the background there. And look at it from Mephibosheth's 
perspective. He lost his grandfather and his father on the same day. He lost his lifestyle as a prince in the, in the palace, right? He lost his birthright of wealth. And to top it off, he lost his mobility because he fell and broke both legs and they never healed right. That's a bad day, folks, in the natural. But God had already made provision for him that he didn't know about yet. So now go to First Samuel, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter nine. And this is verse one. One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? We don't know how many years later this is, but we know there's a period of time because a Mephibosheth is about to show up as an adult male. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to him. What's another word for kindness? Grace. And he wants to show him why. Why is he asking? I mean, we're talking a decade or two later, probably more than that. Why is he asking, can I show kindness? Because he had a covenant. It was an irrevocable covenant he had made with Jonathan. Has God made a covenant with you? Is it irrevocable? Is it based on grace and mercy and kindness? Is he going to revoke it? Never. So if it's 10 or 15 or 20 years later, do you think God is mindful of his covenant with you? Absolutely. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's son is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makir, son of Emil. Do you know what Lodabar means? A place with no pasture. No growth. Say desolate. desolate. I mean, it's desolate. So David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, Mephibosheth bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Now, if you're Mephibosheth and you knew that David was supposed to kill him, I think I'd bow as low to the ground as I could too, right? Because I'm probably not real happy to be in the presence of the king because I don't know my, about David's covenant with my dad. I'm thinking this is the last day of my life. Mesibetheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Who ate at the king's table? The king's sons and daughters and wife. So what did David just say to Mephibosheth about his worth? He's a son. He elevated him to a son because of his covenant. God, What does God do to us? Elevates us to a son because of his covenant with Jesus. This covenant, this grace, this mercy overcame fear. Restored 
to a place of honor. And go on from there in verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth was about to have an identity change, don't you think? I don't think he's a dead dog if he's sitting at the king's table. So when someone comes up and says, You worm! Who do you think you are? Yeah, no, I had an identity change. I'm not a worm. I'm a child of the king. Can you see the grace in here? And if you look at Psalm 8.4, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 8.4 is the, the verse says, What is a man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I mean, that's what Mephibosheth is saying. I'm a dog. Why do you care? And David goes, I made a covenant with your dad. doesn't matter what you've done in your life. I've made a covenant. And that covenant overrides your status. It overrides your actions. It overrides your choices. And it elevates you to the place of honor. You are seated today in the heavenlies with God as an honored son. And He has done a banquet for you in the presence of your enemies. I mean, think about that. I'm here's Mephibosheth, you know, technically under societal custom, he's an enemy and should have been put to death. But he puts him at the banquet table with him. Oh my gosh. You deserve death. No, I got a place at the table. You don't deserve it. You're right, I don't. But the king gave it to me. I think that's pretty good, don't you? Yeah, Ziba. Yes. Yes. Isn't that, I mean, Ziba's fulfilling out his life commitment to Saul by watching over the family, and David elevates him as well. Because in verse 9 it says, The king summoned Paul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba replied, Yes, my lord the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. And then Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. And what do you think about Micah? I mean, it doesn't say Micah again in this chapter. But is he not a descendant of Jonathan? Yes. Is he not covered by the covenant? Yes. What do you think David was doing with him? Same thing. Are you not descendants of the king? Are you not covered by the covenant? What's God going to do? Sit you at the table. Shower you with blessings. Now, I have to grab hold of that in my heart, though. I have to believe that. I have to believe that that grace is that powerful in my life if I want to live out of the heart. Because if I don't believe that, I'm going to be drifting back and forth with the shifting of the wind. 
I need to anchor in grace. And I'm encouraging you to anchor in grace. Because as you anchor in grace and realize God put a place at the table for me because of his covenant with Jesus and it's not about what Meshibbeth did and it's not about what Micah did, it's about what Jesus did. I have a place at the table because of what Jesus did, not because of me. Not because of my ancestors doing something right or wrong, but because of Jesus. Is that not powerful? Let me, let me cap it with this. We'll just cover this point because next time I want to get into longings and desires. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made up for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put away our heavenly bodies like clothing. Long. We long to. That's a longing. We're going to start talking about longings next week because longings come from God and how we respond to them will either be good or ugly. Because if we don't recognize that God gives us longings to draw us towards Him, we're going to be out there trying to fill our longings in all the wrong places. Okay? So, going on from there. Verse 3, For we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. In parentheses I put, we long, our longings. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothed us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this and has a guarantee he has given us his Holy Spirit. Oh, gee, we have the Holy Spirit. So we are confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from the body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. How do we please Jesus? Hey Jesus, let's hang. Teach me Jesus. I love you Jesus. Wow Jesus, that was a really cool thing you just said to me. That's called relationship. That pleases Him. That is our obedience, is to respond to Him. It's not about doing A, B, C, and D. It's just, oh God, you are just so awesome. I couldn't have said it better, Jesus. Aren't you good? Going down to verse 13. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Have you settled that you are dead to your old life? From the moment you had a fuller awareness of the reality of Jesus, have you signed off on the package called the old life? Because if you have signed off on the old package, then your life should change for the better. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from the human point of view. 
At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. How much more powerful is your appeal to others if you've settled in your heart that it grace, grace, grace and covenant, covenant, covenant and new creation, new creation, new creation. If those things are settled in your heart when you go to talk to someone, they're going to go, wow, that's pretty authentic. That's pretty cool. Can I hear more? So God says these things. Simplest thing to do is just believe. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, Come back to God! Come back! For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offspring for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. A couple of things I'm going to leave you with. I was listening to um, Sheila Walsh this morning. You know Sheila Walsh? Singer, author. Sheila was telling a story. She and her husband were going through a rough patch. He'd made some bad financial decisions that rocked the family. And she was mad. And they had a counseling appointment coming up and she calls him and says, let's take separate cars. And he goes, why are you planning to be angry? (laughs) She goes, let's just take separate cars. And then she gets out the phone and she goes, I am angry. And she's running through all of this stuff in her mind as she's driving over and the Spirit of God says to her, do you really want to go into this session with that attitude? And she gets into the session and so the counselor says to her, well, how's things going? She goes, great. And he says to her, well, why is it great? I've been out of the country for two weeks. (laughs) And he turns to the husband and says, how's it going? He goes, terrible. And he goes, why? Because have you ever been in a situation where you've made a decision and it hurt someone and you can't take it back? The weight of that is crushing me. And the counselor sits there and kind of leans back and pauses for a few moments and is thinking, He says, I'm going to tell you about one of my other clients. I'm not going to name names. But I asked him one day, who's your favorite person in the world? And and the guy responded, he goes, my tailor. And the counselor goes, why your tailor? And he said, because every time I go in, I get measured anew. I'm not judged by how I was measured the week before or the month before or the year before. I measured new that day. That's grace. That's grace. I measured new that day. Not always easy to get to. But until I have that solidification of grace in my heart, I can get there. I can get there. And you can get there. Because God is solidifying grace even deeper 
and deeper. Every time we talk about it, it goes deeper. And so I'm going to leave you with that, realizing that every day His mercies are new. Every day you're measured anew. Every day the people around us are measured anew. Every day we can go, God, I don't care what they're doing anymore. His mercies are new every single morning. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that your light and your love is so deep within us that we can look at someone else and go, God, let your light and life first overcome the darkness in me, but also the light and life in them overcome the darkness in them. God, I don't want to dictate what that looks like. Just let your light and life overcome the darkness in them. Let them see the truth of light and life. And so that's my prayer for us today, Lord, that we see a greater revelation of truth of light and life, that we begin to solidify deep in our hearts the things that we've been talking about today. You are awesome, Lord. You have, you have given us a place at the table. That in and of itself inspires us with a sense of awe. Why would you do that? Because I want to. Because I chose you. Before I laid the foundation of the universe, I called you my child. And I called you to share my relationship that I have with my son and my spirit as equally as we share it with each other. I share it with you. That's how much I love you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that revelation of truth. You are awesome, Lord. We are inspired to a sense of awe by you. And we go out of here today going, Yea, God. Amen. Next week, Next week we're going to talk about longings and we're going to further define the heart. If we don't get to the fullness of defining the heart, I'll come back to that in a couple weeks. Amen?